Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Dennis McGrath. Canadian network TV often goes for a spin on the familiar. Lawyers, doctors, cops, and then there's Bomb Girls. Shaw's original series is part period piece, part soap, focusing on the lives of Canadian Rosie the Riveters as they try to get by, branch out, and take flight while working in a munitions factory in World War II. The show's first six-episode season was an audience hit when it aired this past winter, often drawing an audience north of the Canadian watershed, that magic number, one million viewers. We caught up with head writer and co-showrunner Michael McLennan, who graciously took a break from prepping the second season to talk to us in Toronto. Welcome, Michael. Really good to see you. Likewise. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Let's start at the beginning, because I, I remember one of the things that, when I first heard about this show that I was amazed by, and actually I talked about this in the intro, was, you know, finally we get something on Canadian TV that's not Dr. Lawyer Cop. Uh, but this is so far from Dr. Lawyer Cop, so, so why don't you talk a little bit about how, how was this pitched? Where did the idea come from? How did you approach Global with it? Uh, how did that whole process work? Well, first of all... Uh before we started pitching, when I, I, w- I was sort of noodling around with the idea in, in my head for, for a while, as I do, before I try and decide if it's something I want to go out with, I would talk to people and colleagues in the industry about it, and everyone said they really loved the idea, mm-hmm. and then it would never sell. Yeah. It would just never <laughs> actually get purchase in the in the industry as we know it so that's the, that's actually the, so it, we love it and it will never sell the story of canadian television yeah yeah, yeah really basically and i mean just to jump to the end of the story i guess is that i hope this is a show that will open up possibilities for more um thinking outside the box because it it really was a, a success and people um took a lot of risks not mm-hmm. just just me uh, it started actually um i had been um for years back alley Productions, which is now aligned with Muse, um, had been trying to find a way to work with me. And they had approached me, um, I think initially actually at the suggestion of Marguerite Piggott, who was an associate of theirs, uh, a back alley's a consulting um, a, a reader and, and um, development executive there. And Marguerite Piggott, of course, long-time film festival. Now she's with Super Channel. I she's think. with Super Channel, and she still does freelance consulting and yes. is absolutely brilliant. Um, we, we love her. Um, she uh, had said, well, what about McLennan? You should talk to him. And I think what had been the case was they were, they were talking to a lot of, uh, frankly, women about it, and everybody in the group was women, and... And they, I think Marguerite's take on it was, you know, let's go in a little slant-wise on this and see if there's maybe a different perspective. The show had originally come to Back Alley through two, um, uh, a sort of an unlikely route, which was in the shape of uh, uh, Debbie Drennan and Maureen Jennings. Uh, Maureen is uh, perhaps known to some people as the writer of the books on which uh, the Murdoch Mysteries was based but a novelist, not, a, not a, somebody who herself works in the TV industry. And um, Debbie Drennan is a makeup artist. But um, Maureen grew up in the war in England, and Debbie's family, uh, Debbie's mother grew up in Ajax at the um, uh, DIL plant. Actually, I think it's, it was actually the GECO plant, which was slightly uh, different, but um, in, in Scarborough. Um, but... Uh, they had basically amassed a bunch of um, uh, research, and it was fairly loose 
form and they kind of had some ideas for characters. But I had been trying to do a project. I had done a project with E1 that never went anywhere that was set in the 40s. And I was looking Mm. as somebody who specializes in character-driven dramas. um, I was really interested in the period, in any sort of period stories because for anyone who works in that that sort of subgenre, we're basically okay today. You know, we mm-hmm. basically have equality. We basically have a social net. We basically have, we're not struggling with the same kind of profound um, social uh, moral panic and social shifts that are going, that were going on in other times. And so I felt like to, to write something set in the forties was a really exciting thing for, for me as a, as a screenwriter and their lens on it, which was basically, and I, it was originally called project 24 and it was just set in the, in a bomb pl- factory. And that was basically it. And from mm-hmm. that, I kind of was very inspired and I came at them with a bunch of characters and a, a fairly specific and radical view of how I would approach it. Mm-hmm. And luck, lucky for me, I guess um, they liked my take uh, which was to say, I, I came in strong. I came in, I said, if, if you want me, this is what I'll do. There's no further surprises. Right. Um, I'm not going to say it's almost there and then and then down the line unravel everything that had been built. I came in pretty bold. And um, we built up a pitch very um, rigorously with uh, Adrian Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And we took it around. We took it to everybody. Uh, and this was originally supposed to be a showcase series. Right. Uh, and but we took it to we thought it was a slam dunk for CBC for example and mm-hmm. and they I mean our, our Scott McEwen who was the, the guy who received our pitch really really liked it but it just felt like we've got our period show in there whatever it was at the time I think it was Camelot or the Tudors or you know they had that sort of it, it just didn't fit that right. that world of the um, the international treaty co-pro that they they do yes because and, because you know we we like to buy our our, our history we like Britain. to buy it because yeah. I mean CBC I don't quite know why Henry VIII had to do with, with Canada well but, you um, know and Titanic's good too yeah Lord knows yeah. nothing's been mined on that front and, uh, <laughs> it's a good idea yeah, you know it's a great somebody idea. ought to do something yeah. about that yeah um, and and to their credit, I mean, they bought it. And I think it was partly that when we were pitching, and then I, you can ask me another question. I won't spend the whole time answering one question here. But was that everybody that we pitched to, and I think this was a real key to the, its success. From At that point, um, Susan Morgan was actually also in, involved at, at Shaw because she was um, uh, taken over for um, uh, somebody who was on leave for a while, which I, who I believe was uh, Susan Alexander. Um, every person, no, it was Tara, who I think was on leave. Every person who we pitched to and who was pitched up to had a personal connection to this subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the point that Susan Morgan, who grew up in Wales during the war, to people who's, they had, it's like my grandmother was, worked in a factory. Or, like, everyone had something that hooked into them personally as an executive. So they were invested in it really early on. Mm-hmm. And... They took risks. I mean, because it wasn't just you know my friend writers who were saying this will never sell. They were getting that internally, and there was something about the their conviction and the way that we. The main thing that I emphasized was audience. I said this is Mm -hmm. a show. 
it can play to 80-year-olds, and mm-hmm. it can play to their granddaughters. Mm-hmm. It can play to men because shit's going to blow up, mm-hmm. and it's going to play to women because it's essentially about women. And yeah. But it's got war, and it's also a uniquely Canadian perspective and a proudly Canadian perspective. And so you can get some brownie points that way. And so I, I tried to think like an executive when I was pitching it mm-hmm. and not like a, um, an earnest um, you know, history buff. Right. And that seemed to... Uh, get traction with them, and I think we were proven right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that I find in there that, that I want to unpack a little bit that I find really interesting. Um, uh, the first is is that you know there is this idea that 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 sometimes we don't get right here mm-hmm. in that universality springs from specificity. You know, yes. like I mean, you say that. I mean, I love that point that you have about. Um, you know, 80-year-olds and their granddaughters and their lots of co-viewing and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Because the thing that got me when I watched it was, we all think we're so unique, you know? <laughs> right. We all think that everything we're going Today, through right. has yeah, never yeah. gone through. Yeah. But the thing that struck me about it is that it's fascinating. If you're somebody who is now in your 40s, maybe, yeah. you probably remember your mother going back to work. I certainly know I do, I, that's right? That's exactly I do. I was just thinking about that this And week, we think actually. that, oh, we're so unique because we're the latchkey kids that we mm-hmm. were the first. But, you know, no. There was an entire generation where the women had to go to work and they had to negotiate things they never negotiated before. And so right there you've got something that ties into two levels of audiences that are going to be poised to get that mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting and that sort of idea of going across and by drilling down to something specific and saying, here's where it's set. But here's geographically where it's set, mm-hmm. and here's what we're doing, that, that we're going to come up with something that, that winds up being much, much more relatable than, mm-hmm. than a lot of shows that go for something that they think is big and splashy and mm-hmm. then, you know, four-quadrant stuff that everybody can get. Mm-hmm. Well, and, the, and of course, this was a show that was tricky because you couldn't set it in any town USA. Right. The way, I mean, these are shows I admire greatly, but a show like Flashpoint or a show like Rookie Blue can... They're not set. You don't know where they're set, and that's by design, of course, because they're set. They're 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 sold on in the American market. Yeah, and you can't do that when you're talking about the war. I mean, we yeah. entered the first season is set in 1941. I mean, exactly, the, the Americans right. weren't even in the war yet, and <laughs> and and once they are, we we were always paying attention to different. Um, battles. Yeah. You know, we were fighting different fronts. We have different flags on our uniform. I yeah. mean, what? So you can't fake it. And so it was about trying to be very specific. And and you know, it, it was being developed around the time that the first season of Downton Abbey took off. And there's, I, you know, which is a great show. And I I I was bolstered by that. But it, there seems to be this notion that you can be specific about almost any place and time. But if you're specific about Canada, it's somehow not going to be attractive to the world because it's you know you can you it's just setting it here it's like it's uh, it's just sort of like north of of the parallel and i used to think that that was the canadian disease yeah Um, but you know what Uh, in the last year i've totally changed first of all i discovered this this australian cultural writing about and they came up with a great term for it which is called cultural cringe Cringe, cultural cringe, cringe, okay. and it's basically the violent reaction you have to something that's set, you know, you. And it happens. Australians get it, and the Canadians get it, and stuff. But oh. the amazing thing about it is, you think of the French is so arrogant, right? I, I yeah. worked with a lot of French producers last year, and like literally, you'd have pitch meetings where we're going to make the villain French, and it's like, no. Why? Because no one will believe that the French person could be powerful <laughs> enough to be a villain. And I'm like, really? 
know, and it's just like, wow, really? Right. You know? Right. And they're like, right. and, then, and then you say, but we're in Paris, and we say, and it's like, do we see the Eiffel Tower? And like, they want to fight you if you want to. Yeah, it's right. by the Eiffel Tower. No, 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 we don't want to see the Eiffel Tower again. You know? Right. Like, give us another uh, portrayal. But I mean, you know, the Australians can do Gallipoli, and yeah. they they can win the Academy Awards with well, that. And, and, and you know, and we, the, the we, reality is that we have as many. If not more, because of the fact that we were such a small, co- our specific history in Canada in World War Two is so interesting because we were so small and we fought so hard. Yeah, you know. Well, and that to me is also a metaphor for the show. I mean, that you use the war that these are women who are fighting for their free, fight, uh, helping to fight for freedom, and they're discovering their own. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to what you're saying about that kind of universality that using the war as a metaphor, because when you're doing something set in the in a period, it can't just be something that works well under glass. You mm-hmm. need to sort of let it have resonance today and right. and and be worth, you know, exploring basically, yeah. Okay, so basically there was an area. Yes. The area was presented to you. You yes. went off, you came up with the characters, you came yeah. up with the meat, you came up with the stuff that made it sing. You dare I say it, created the show. Mm-hmm. And uh and then out of that you know, uh, you had this wonderful experience with a lot of people that you, there were resonances when you pitched it. From there, how long was it between sort of th- those sort of pitches to, to where, you know, Shaw came on board and said, yes, uh, all right, we're going with this. And then how did it wind up on Global? Oh, wow. Well, um, well, I, I, the, the, we, when we did the pitch, it was a really good pitch meeting. Like, you know, you when you go in and it just... It was great because they were starting to pitch us story ideas, like the mm-hmm. executives in the room. It's like, you could do this and you could do this. And mm-hmm. so it, it was kind of felt like a very co-creative experience. Good. And that is really, I mean, I feel that, I mean, Shaw is putting in an enormous amount of money. And before the money, it was just those people are putting in their personal, um, some of their you know capital in terms of the, the work culture into this project. So you want to let them know that this is something that's going to be safe for them to pe- people that it's safe for them to develop with mm-hmm. and that there's a there's um there that they can contribute to it mm-hmm. and um you know we finished that meeting we felt like this was our best meeting and about 3 weeks later we got a call that we were ordered um wow. and it was unusual because we went from a not that I necessarily see a hierarchy, but we went from a cable one-hour pilot to a network global, you know, a, a single-digit, um, what station is it? Uh, Four, usually six? cable three. Cable three. Uh, so we went from, like, cable, you know, whatever, yeah. 63 to three. And we went from a pilot script to a six-episode order. And it. Well, I think it was really... I mean, you'd have to ask them, but my understanding was that it was partly the quality of the material, mm-hmm. and it was partly the quality of working with us, that they felt like we really were, we had very high standards, that we were good to work with, that we took their notes, we were respectful. Uh, I mean, and it, it helped be, that they were never, we were never off, we were never making different shows. Mm-hmm. Like, we communicated a very clear vision for the show, they understood that they liked it, and then we just kept making the same show. Like it wasn't that sense that what I'm saying to you, you're kind of hearing something different, and then everyone starts to go madly off in various directions, mm-hmm. and and so it there was just a sense of, um, I think for them that they thought we can do some bold thinking here, 
and and also recognize that there's no way you can do a good one hour period pilot for a million bucks. You yeah. know, you might be able to do six for six million and amortize your costs, but we had to build a bomb factory. Right. Like you just can't <laughs> do that. You know, yeah. so um, so it was a fairly, you know, I think it was just a positive development experience for everyone, and that's what allowed them the confidence to to go forward the one one more step. Now they were very involved in every step from every bit of casting, <laughs> hiring the writers, uh, hiring the directors. They were very involved in protecting their investment as they mm -hmm. should be, but they, they, you know, it was. I think they they just made those leaps of faith based on a, a what I would perceive to be a positive working experience basically mm -hmm. yeah it's funny you know they uh i i don't know if i'm gonna get this right now because i don't actually remember which the definition was but I, my agent talks about push shows and pull shows yeah and you know and i i think the way it was was you can either go in and you can you can pitch something that you're constantly having to try to sell it you're constantly having oh, to yeah, try yeah. to push it on them and sell it and push it and push it and then there's what you got if if in the room they're pitching you story ideas that's a pull you're, show. You're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, trying to pull. They're yeah. you know they really want it. Yeah. That's uh, that's well. And and Christine Shipton, who's the I forget her title right. I think she's the head of programming. Uh, or head is she of, the vice president? I'm, I'm, we, you know what? I don't, I don't know what it is. Programming or head of drama development. But she is. She's just but under Barb Williams. She's the yeah, one that makes all the big all the decisions. creative yeah. decisions. And she said she bought it based on the title. I mean, mm -hmm. and we, which by the way, we our first pitch was to Global. And we were sitting in um, the back alley office, which is this little tiny hovel on uh, College Street, um, and we didn't really have a title yet. And I don't believe, I don't think you should ever pitch a show without a title. I think mm -hmm. it's, I think what part of the attract, you, you need to turn on marketing people as much as the creative development people. And so, and a big part of marketing is what's your title? And we, we kind of had something. We were, we were going with home front and boring stuff like that. And, and, um, and Adrian said – and this was like literally half an hour before the, the, the pitch. Uh, she said something like, you know, bombing or something. And I went, bomb girls. And she went yeah. – and we just – when we heard it, it was just like, that's it. So yeah. we went in and we pitched bomb girls. It was, yeah. But it was like that close to the – the wire, and when when it was pitched up, because as what happens is you generally you're not usually pitching the head of the network, so you're pitching a, a an executive who then says, "Thank you very much. If we like it, we'll you know pitch it. We will pitch it to the next level." Yeah. And when uh, Christine heard the words, she just thought, "That's a show we can sell." You can sort of see it, like, and that goes into the lore of television all the time. Bomb growth. You know, you came with a perfect title that actually stayed. But you can sort of see that even back in the day, if you'd pitched Miami Vice, maybe not. But that's not how he pitched it. He pitched MTV Cops and everybody went, right, okay, right, which, I, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like if you can get that sweet spot yeah. where, where yeah. The, the essence of the show actually is in the title. Which you know. for us was about trying to tell period in a sexy way. Yeah. Trying to tell, I always, I always say, you know, this is not a sepia-toned World War II. This is not an American World War II, which is a very uncritical, dare I say, kind of propaganda vibe of pro-war. This is very complex. But it's also, this was a time when people were having sex, cutting loose, going out, you know, getting, um, like they had money for the first time. It was it was a kind it's kind of like very contemporary in many senses of what was going on and that's how we pitched it so that it was something that that would wouldn't be that sort of um, old school approach to 
period. Right. Okay. Um, so tell me about sort of moving forward then. What? Uh, tell me about sort of uh, did your casting change the conception of the uh, of the characters that you had? Did you reshape the characters based on who you got? Mm-hmm. How did that change in terms of? As you continue to develop this. Well, casting is an interesting trick with this show. Normally, you're really doing the heavy lifting on casting with five to maybe eight characters. Mm-hmm. Because, who, that's your series regulars. You, know, you have a small group of people. And this show, uh, and I think it was largely because of the sort of how I came up. You know, I learned a lot. I did four seasons. I was a co-executive producer on, on Queer as Folk. And what I learned from that was you really... Um, where I met Kim, by the way, uh, uh, where I, you really invest in your palette. Like you choose, if you choose the right series regulars of, an, of a large ensemble, you actually don't bring in very many new people. Yeah. So what, 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 I, what, that, what I'm trying to say is that when we were casting that first episode, we had 15, arguably 17 series regulars to cast, which is to say big Choices. Yeah. We're not just talking about somebody who's who's going to be in for the be the killer this week, mm-hmm. and it's it's like the, this is this person's mother, and we we might end up writing you know a whole storyline about this person in the second season. So we got to get the right people. So it was an immense amount of work for our casting directors and um and and, and us and our network to go through and do you know to get really clear on that when we uh were doing that it was at the same time that we were breaking and writing the episode so you're the first season was really you're about it's a, sort of the abstract idea of who this character is mm-hmm. and then once those people are cast yes there was for me I was I was spending a lot of uh, I was very carefully watching the dailies in the first um, uh, two we, we block shot so the first two episodes when those were coming in and I think it's because I started as a playwright I still I suppose yeah. I am a playwright but so I, I, it's you get this Ability to write for the strengths of an actor. Yeah. And uh, everything after that, I mean, it was about shaping the performance to their strengths. Sure. And, um, and it just also helps you sell stories when everyone else in the picture, the other producers, the network, when it's not an abstract person, when it's Ali Liebert going through that, they can see it. Or when it's Meg Tilly doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's about it really helped with the storytelling, and it it affected the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, you just write. It, I don't know that that always happens, but in this kind of a show, you really want a, a performance to shine. And I think we're going to end up at, at Dennis's suggestion, looking at episode six. And I think that's a good example of where. I was then beginning to really write. I mean, that the sixth episode was written under very um, unenviable conditions, <laughs> and uh, uh, but I was really leaning in terms of inspiration on those actors and and sending them valentines in a way of stuff that they could really uh, make a meal of. Great. So yeah. All right. Well, let's get into let's get into the writing process a little bit because uh, obviously, first of all, you knew that. You knew that you were going to be, when you got the green light, you knew that you were developing a six-pack. There's something really interesting and, and, uh, and sort of au courant about that. <laughs> you know, the six yeah. or eight. Six or eight is the new 13. And there's a God, lot of true. and there's a lot of that that I think we're going to see a lot more of that in Canada yeah. in the Latin, next couple of years. And, you know, in the, in the United States, too, as everybody, as the last vestiges of 
being able to rerun drama mm-hmm. slip away because mm-hmm. of Netflix and everything else. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more short order series. So mm-hmm. does that change the way that you arc a season and how did that how did how did you approach staffing your room? Mm-hmm. How did you approach how am I going to get this thing written? Wow, those are really good questions. Um uh, first of all, just and a I plug asked three of for, them. Yes, I, I'll remember them. And I'll start with a plug for Canadian Screenwriter Magazine, which uh, currently has an article, which is the WGC's uh, screenwriting, screenwriting Magazine, which has an article about the six-pack that's in the current issue, which is quite interesting. Available on newsstands now. Everywhere, I'm sure. Yes. Um, uh, right next to Vanity Fair. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, behind it. Behind yeah. it, really? It's, it's, in a, it's in a plastic wrap, right? It's next to Dazzler and, and you know, a burlesque month. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> right. Perfect. That's where I, I got all three yeah. Yeah, delivered to my home. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, um, now I've completely forgotten your questions. No, no, no. No, I'm good. I'm good. Worst um, host ever. Right, no. <laughs> Worst guest who uh, interrupts himself. <laughs> Um, what was the basic uh, gist well, of let's, it again? Let's start, let's start uh, with basically putting together your room. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so the trick with six is this was designed as a marathon. It was not designed – the show was oh, not – the way that you orchestrate the characters, the, the issues that they're grappling with, this was not pitched as a six-episode series. Mm-hmm. But – um, as I think was the basic theme of that article, is if somebody tells you we're not going to do 13, but we're going to do six, you go, we can do six. I think six is going to be lovely. Yeah. We'll just be. Yeah. But it was really a challenge to uh, not that. I mean, it wasn't even that we had 13 hours of story that we crammed into six. We, you know, you chuck what you thought was going to happen. It's more that the way you orchestrate the world and that we were trying that. The Bomb Girls is really a tapestry, and it's a, it, of, of different that allows you to explore race and geography and class, and to do that takes time. Yeah. So, so it was tricky to try and, you know, there were some decisions like, you know, there, there were certain characters that, that maybe I shouldn't name, but you know, people were like, maybe we can do without that character, and I was mm-hmm. like, actually, no, you can't. I mean, we need this this kind of a person represented. And I, I promise you they will be valuable if not, if not, um, uh, central. And, um, and in the end, everyone agreed. I mean, everyone was necessary because what I did was I, I created that palette of the, the 15 to 17 characters. And if you look, if you look at the last block, I think we brought in one, um, day player and that was it. Everyone else in the show was part of the show you don't use a guest star if you're use if you're at your sixth episode and you need a guest star to give you drama then Oof. you've yeah. you've really built the wrong you've orchestrated the wrong characters because because they need to be able to generate the sparks and drama themselves but it was challenging to try and find a way to encapsulate what to me was a world mm-hmm. in six hours um then you go to hiring a room, and it just comes to the basic fact that the that the way you get good writers is you offer them a long contract or yeah. at least yeah. and, and combined with a, a fair number of scripts. Yeah. So I was really I mean we had an amazing first first season room Shelley Erickson Estes Spalding and John Krasank. Uh, I wrote the pilot I wrote the second episode and I wrote the sixth episode. So. Uh, 
then in, in 345 was um, uh, uh, Esther, John, and Shelley. Um, but you had to find people that were available mm. and were willing to work hard for one script, essentially. Yeah. Like, like, come in, help me with the room, help me create this series, break all of the episodes together. It's not a kind of a show where you just go off and you come up with a, you know, this week is yeah, the no, case is this. Everyone needs yeah. to know everything, and I need all their ideas. And the guy who's writing episode four needs to know what the woman who's writing episode three is doing so to really you know properly build on that um so it was tricky to sort of attract people also it's the first season and you're like i know it's got this idea it's called bomb girls it's been set in the 40s and like you know now it's a little different now people are we're coming to us but um it was tricky to find the right people who had the 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 and you have a small room you you don't you can't have dead weight you can't have a beginner Mm-hmm. to be a blunt we just needed people who could hit the ground running and really contribute and write a script that was going to knock it out of the park mm-hmm. so those things i think are challenging if you do a six pack the way i do which is bringing people in you can be a sort of a ken finkelman or something like that and do it all yourself but mm-hmm. i i don't that's just i i prefer to work collaboratively and and so it was tricky to find those people but when we did it was it was a dream team so it seems like that's sort of the it's kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys of of television writing, you know, everywhere. The idea of the the, the auteur driven mm. six pack, blah 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 blah, versus the the collaborative idea. What what specifically do you get out of have, being able to harness different minds in mm-hmm. the room? Is it just that it's quicker? Is it? Do you find it gives you a richer experience? Mm-hmm. Why specifically do you hew towards more? I want a room, even if it's a small mm. room. Well, firstly, I actually don't even know if it's quicker. That's the weird thing no, about it. No, it's not sometimes. Sometimes, what's good about it is if I'm in a lull at 2.30, somebody else is, is it's the best point of their day. Yeah. And they get sort of kooky and manic and their caffeine kicked in and they, they can carry their thing for a while. Mm-hmm. But I just believe, I, and again, it's maybe because of my theater background, but I just believe that Television is best created in air, in in a room. It's not in my brain, you mm-hmm. know, where you're battling things and you're discussing characters like they're real living people. And I can be wrong, you know. Somebody else can challenge me on something, and mm-hmm. and that if and and also you just know, like if we're in a situation where we're arguing about something, then that's good drama. And mm-hmm. I don't know that necessarily when it's just myself mm-hmm. and. I just personally, I I want, I find the, I love, maybe it's because I'm a Gemini, I love writing alone, but I also love collaborating together. And I think that's a good synthesis when you're a screenwriter, a television screenwriter, where you can, you get both. And some people are better at one than the other. Yeah. Some people are amazing in the room and very weak in their scripts, but... But, you know, you'll talk, you'll, you'll call somebody up for a reference and they'll say, you know what? It's worth it. I yeah. have to do a big rewrite on that person. But they bring so much to the room. They're terrified of the page when they have to face it. But yeah. it doesn't matter. And others are the opposite. They're, you know, they're, they're, when the rubber hits the road and you need somebody to rewrite a scene, they're, they're there for you. And I guess for me, I just, I want, I find it more enjoyable. And I'm at a place, in the, at least at this show, where I get to... Um, 
get to do that. Now there was a there was would have been a way of conceiving Bomb Girls where it would have been I would have been the Julian Follows and I would have written right. all of those. <laughs> but we sort of saw I don't know how many people saw the second season, but yeah. it kind of wore out. Like that yeah. man is burned to a crisp yeah. right now. And I just think a lot of those stories, there would have been better ideas if there had been three or four pe- more people in the room. Well, I always think of the, I mean, on that score, it's not exactly trench, but the last, the last writers talking TV we did, we did, we did less than kind. And of course, one of the guys we talked to was Margaret Kinney. And I always remember about yeah. kids in the hall yeah. that hearing the story that, you know, they went and they worked and they honed and they honed those sketches in the bars and stinky places on Queen Street in the back room of the Rivoli for seven years. And then they did their television show and right. the first season sucked up seven years of work yeah. and they were done. Yeah. So and the first season do? was seven years yeah. worth of stuff. And then they had two months to come up with season yeah. two and the rest, yeah. of, you know, and what do and, you do? Well, then, what, yeah, what you do is hopefully lean on some other yeah. people to help you. I and, love that you... Or take your time. I mean, I'm, you look at somebody like Lori Finstad and, and, yeah. and Durham County. I mean, she took years between seasons. Yeah. So, you know, there is a way of doing it. There but is. I, I just started a sentence with, I love that you, and I'm lo- very uh, yes. interested well, how you're, yeah. you're going to finish As that. are we all, as are we all. <laughs> I love that you use the word negotiation. Because uh-huh. that's kind of the, uh, to me, that is fun- the fundamental difference between TV and film, is that I think that television is very much a negotiation, especially in our social media age. Yeah. I think there's a negotiation in the writer's room, and oh, I think yeah. that's where it starts pure. Yeah. There's a negotiation that starts in the writer's room, it starts with the network, it starts with the notes, it starts with this, and then the last negotiation is with the audience. Yes. Right? Because they, they haven't paid 10 bucks and they're not thinking that they're they, – any, at any moment they can kill you with this little device in their hand yeah, and they can go and yeah. watch the situation and Snooki. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love, I love thinking of it that way in terms of negotiation. But, I mean, uh, it, it, when you think of it that way, uh, does that change – do you feel – that a good idea comes like, – the cliche is, you know, best idea wins. Mm-hmm. How do you get your ego out of the way and really see the best idea? Well, firstly, uh, the best idea wins, but the thing about being a showrunner is – or head writer yeah. is you decide what the best idea That's is. That's it, yeah. So how do I get the – yeah, how do I get my ego out of it? It's that, it's that thing where you just – you just kind of know or you're not a showrunner. Like mm-hmm. you just have to – you just – I mean, there's been a few things that I didn't quite... It took me a while. Like, usually I know. Yeah. And then there's some times where you're like, I don't know, but everybody else is loving it. And you're like, okay, I'll run with this for a while. Because I'm not, I'm not a very... Uh, like, I just read that, that interview with David Chase that's on the New York Times right now. Yeah. And he was all about like, oh, I just say no to everybody. And I said no to <laughs> Matt Weiner all the time. But he kept saying... He kept having ideas. He was the only one who still had ideas. Yeah. I'm not like Mr. No. I'm like, if, if you like it, like, let's run with this for a while. And sometimes it's, I can figure out why I don't like it, but I can add the thing that makes me go, okay, now, now I know how this is our show. Yeah. But um, I think the thing of a, of a head writer is to figure out how it can be a good idea that is, fits within the, the sort of themes and aims of the series, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like sure. that it's not taking you into like crazy land. Yeah. Um, but there was something else you said about, oh, then the, the, just the, 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 I mean, I find like, I want people to have their buttons, but I want somebody on the writer's team to be like, 
I can't stand that character mm. and I'm having a problem with this. And once again, she's doing something I don't like. Yeah. And, and somebody else is the champion for that character. Yeah. And because I feel like, you know, I like a show that is, is about the dialectic and mm-hmm. that you can go into a show. I mean, it all became sort of like a joke in, in that. What's that? Oh God, I'm such a twilight. Okay. So right. it took me a while to figure that out. Cause I haven't, you know, but it's, are you team, whatever are you team, whatever. But the point is you're, you're constructing a polarizing experience for the audience. And sure. on a show like queer spoke, like people hated Brian and they loved yeah. Michael or they loved Michael and they hated Brian. Cause he was, you know, and you, 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 you could kind of, but the point is they kept tuning in every week. Yep. And I think that in a writer's room, you can have that kind of similar debate and I might have a character I don't really relate to. But I, because I, you know, but somebody else is the custodian of that, and somebody else can convince me of certain story beats, and I think that that's really in the kind of show that Bomb Girls is, and the kind of show that I'm most interested in making is very interesting. Uh, in terms of the audience, it is the most terrifying thing. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I left, um, uh, I left town on Boxing Day, and I didn't get back until two days before the season finale. Mm. Uh, I went to Asia. So I was in like, I was among like, you know, like I was in India, in Mumbai when the series premiered. <laughs> and my point, my, my, my thinking was partly because I needed the moon a wasn't available? Well, well <laughs> yeah, really. It was about as far as I went. I mean, I was sort of two things. One is I needed a light at the end of the tunnel when I was right. in the trenches. Sure. And the other was like, like we finished editing like three days before. And it was that I I needed I needed to be somewhere else if the show tanked and I didn't okay. know that it wouldn't and I I really I couldn't I don't think I could have handled sitting in Toronto with my friends and reading reviews and watching ratings and it was really it was really good to be in a place where you know there are beggars on the streets and yeah. going and that that would be a hard place to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, exactly. First so, world problem. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I mean, luckily it was the you know luckily I mean it was sort of surreal because I, I you know when you're in India oh, you don't really know what stop, day it is. You're not setting it up you know? right. Okay. And we're okay. bouncing. We're bouncing. We're okay. Bouncing, sorry. We'll bounce. Okay. We'll ah! bounce. Okay. But yeah. now that being said, yeah. All right. So where are you when you get to your little internet cafe and blah blah? Describe. When when it comes in and those ratings come in and you were like this crazy global record premiere, pistoleros going off, fireworks in the air. Where were you? How did you receive that news? Wow. Well, uh, well, I was in India and I was. Um, you, you know how you don't when you're in India, you don't really know what day it is in North America because it's mm-hmm. all kind of wonky. Yeah. And so I was actually not expecting it because it came earlier than I, I thought. I would have thought it was later, like it was there right there when I woke up. And, and um, uh, I was with 14 Americans traveling with, who were all friends of mine and none of whom knew really anything about this show. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, some of them worked in television and it, 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 I was blown away. Like I was just blown away when we got the first numbers in because I would have been happy with half that number. Yeah. And that was my personal, uh, it was like 1.4, it was 1.4, right? which became 1.7 with, right. With, with the PVRs, with, with the PVRs. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, Adrian and Janice were like, we've got to nail 
um, Shaw on what is their acceptable number. And I said, yeah. Let, we do not want to ask them what the number is because then if we don't make – what happens if yeah. we don't make the number? Yeah, Let's yeah, just yeah. say like maybe they'll be happy in the aggregate, you know, and yeah. maybe we'll get terrible ratings but good reviews or yeah. whatever. Like don't – let's not – set ourselves a bar at, at, at all but personally I was like if we could get like 600 or 700 thousand like I would just yeah. be really happy um, and and it was kind of like this celebration that didn't really mean a lot because I was in India and I just sort of saddled up to a friend of mine on the tour bus that we were on I mean it, it sounds tacky but it wasn't it's totally Glamoursville but um, uh, and I just said you know I think we're a hit uh, and, and he works in the industry and and of course, I couldn't tell him that we got one point four million. Yeah, you can't believe to an American. That like, sucks. They're like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry." Oh, that's really, yeah. Better yeah. luck next they time. They actually say They're sorry. Buddy. They sorry. say sorry. They don't pronounce sorry. it right. You know that. I do. Um, uh, I said uh, I said but, process earlier in the podcast, <laughs> and it nearly you. killed me. Oh, good for you. I got to get rid you. of that. Pra, pra, pra. Um, you've been here too long. So yeah. I, it was, but it was a uh, uh, it was an immense relief. And of course, the very next thought was, "Oh God, how are we going to keep that for next week?" And then the third week was when American Idol came on, and we went, we dipped down a bit but um because the first first week is largely global yeah. that's can they get eyeballs to the show yeah the second week is is could i keep them yeah. like at that point and uh, um it's that's where the truth in my opinion where the truth comes out yeah. um and so global did the the most heroic uh, marketing campaign i mean they spent as much on us as they did on the firm yeah. there were six episodes yeah uh, and we held, we held, and then we held, we held very, very respected. We never dipped below a million. And, and you ticked we, up and, and, and we toward the end, right? Ticking yeah. up. And we had, we had to deal with the, that American Idol show, and, yeah. you know? So, so, I mean, that's the portrait of it, I guess, but it, it was, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not good at, I'm not good at the, I sort of like going to India, you know, yeah. you, I sort of remove myself. It's a bit like the playwright who like runs out of the theater or the yeah. director at the, the you know, I, I want that. I want it to succeed, but it's, it's so stressful for me that I, I, I just feel like I kind of can't handle it. So I just leave. <laughs> All right. Let's circle, let's circle back to some, some writing nitty gritty. This is the, oh, uh, let's do, let's do the <laughs> geek corner here. Um, so, uh, is that the Michael, theme song to the Geek Corner? Uh, so, Michael, um, <laughs> how long how long do you like your outlines to be? Oh, okay. I like a good, nice, hefty outline. You go for the long outline. Yeah, I oh. like I like a well. The outline is like a step outline for me, so it's like slug line yeah. and and paragraph descriptions of basically what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would like something that's you know about eighteen pages. Wow, good. Okay. Um, I'm a little nervous if it's longer and, and um, you know, usually feel like I'm not, I'm going to get too many surprises if it's that much shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, this show is a bit odd. Uh, so I don't want to move off of outline first. Um, so outline. Yeah. And you know, it's to me an outline is who's in it. What do they want? What are they doing to each other? And I tend to do a kind of on the nose dialogue yeah. style of writing that, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want you to go. Yeah. Uh, the, the dialogue won't be that in the end. But yeah. if that's what—that's the basic. You know, I would like to be able to chart the beats and uh, and really quite rigorously test them. And so I will go back and forth with the writer. Uh, I can, you know, three-hour note calls on an outline, and yeah. and then we might follow it up tomorrow with another hour. Like, right. like I, I'm, 
I just feel like before anybody sees it, I that's where it's that's where it is for me. Um, and we, we may do three drafts of an outline, and then because to me, like a draft is, you just sort of it should be something that you just kind of like. What are those sponges where you just add water and it sort of reconstitutes yeah. itself yeah. into the thing? Like that's what an outline should be like for me. That when you add water, it becomes the right shape. Yeah. It's already there. Um, I fi- it's funny yeah. because it's funny. I, I, I really respond to you to you saying that because I always look at. In a way, you think at dialogue and it's great and stuff. But but I've always kind of thought of if you're writing your outline right and you're getting yeah. it all out there, that first draft of the script is almost a – the outline is an expansive document. The first yeah. draft is kind of a reductive document in a way. Mm, yes. It's like literally – it's like, all right, how much – how little – can how much can I communicate and with so as little? Few, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what I responded to in hiring writers was when I was reading writers this year, and some of whom are here tonight, um, was a sense of rigorous structure. Mm. You know, yeah. and when I, you know, there were other writers who I, I either could tell from their material, and this is just me, yeah. but could tell from their material or from talking to other people who'd worked with them that they're more like they find the story in the dialogue and they find and remember i'm a playwright like that's yeah, yeah. my whole that's what i did as a playwright yeah i would write a scene i wouldn't even know what the scene was about take me like a month of writing this scene before i figured out what people wanted but there's no there's just no luxury of that sort of thing in television and so so i respond to people who kind of think the way i do who love the outlining process who don't mind that they might have to redo it Two or three times, yeah. and then try, and then and then the then the um, what I want to feel like is that you're like a thoroughbred as a writer. You're like that thoroughbred at the gate. Um, hopefully not on the set of luck. Um, uh, um, that's a bad joke. That's it's not even funny. Um, uh, who's waiting for a joyous experience of writing that first draft. Like yeah. They want it. They're not uncertain of how they're going to go through a scene. They're, then it's like, okay, now hit me with your best shots. Now now just have fun and riff and give me good dialogue and surprise yourself and maybe make yeah. a discovery that didn't you couldn't find, but that you don't feel... Uh, you. Yeah. Like when I started writing, when I started in this, I was used to be nervous about the first draft, and I felt like the more supported I felt in the outlining process as a writer for hire, the more exuberant I could feel in that drafting process, which I think results in that's where you want your writer. You want your writer to surprise you, and I feel like they can only do that when they feel like they're safe in that. In that, the, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's like it, it sounds hippy dippy to say it and stuff too, but if you've got a bulletproof outline, <laughs> writing a first draft can be. I it mean, should it be, can be fun really and, enjoyable. And it can be fast too. Yeah. Like I would would rather spend. You know, if you've got this much time, like give me give me that much. You know, I can't do it right, but like I, I would take more time in the outlining right. and give them a solid, more solid base, and then and then race through a, you know, a good. Suffer at the outline stage. Suffer, uh, suffer in terms of yeah, labor, labor at that, and then and then leisure at the uh, and play in the in the draft stage. I mean, I think I te- I tend to think the marathon runner writers uh, who do this for a long time tend to sort of really fall down on that side of the the, the mm-hmm. ledger a lot, to, to, yeah. a, to a large extent. Uh, Except th- then you ha- that you can also have like experts who. And I'm just not. They're just smarter. They can. They can do it. Like the, the, it's always such a pitfall to say, "Oh, you can fix it in the draft." I. I always find that every time I've done that, I. It's bit me in the ass. But there are writers who can, 
just they just can just give me it's it's like just yeah, give me the thing and I can bang real, it out. But it's really painful when you're doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like yeah. nine times out of ten when this person anybody that says I can fix it in the draft, they're they know deep in their heart of hearts they're half bullshitting. Yeah, and they're mostly hiding sins. Yeah. I mean it's about you know, you can write a few funny lines and make a scene work, but Yeah. Um it's it's funny too. I mean I, I guess really the only thing that argues against that long outlining and really suffering at the outline stage is of course the X factor being um, that becomes a problem if you have depending on how many people that outline has to go through and what your network approval process is like because you can die from a thousand cuts if you've got networks that don't know how to read the outline so what was that Hmm. what was on the script process like for, uh, for Bomb Girls at the network. Talk about your your well, well, uh, process back and forth with yeah, the network on it. And, and like to, the context of that process. is, of course... Damn it, I did it again. You did it. Good. It's good. It's no, good. It's you've got to... They you've make gotta, fun of me, Michael. No, well, they might on uh, in your former homeland, but not here. Not here. Uh, well, it's important to remember, just to... Re- we went from pilot to short series. I mean, it was yeah. called a miniseries for legal sure. actra reasons yeah. but it was a, basically a, a limited series yeah. so you have people who are very their eyes are on this because they have not seen anything that proves that this works mm-hmm. so uh we had a process or a process uh internally that was so rigorous that we, we would go could could sometimes go back i mean <clears throat> so i there was there was a the <laughs> want to say the word now but there's a process within the writer's room so mm-hmm. you so you have the thing where you're bouncing it around within a writer's room mm-hmm. then i've got to take it up to the other executive producers yep and we rattle around that for a while take mm-hmm. that back in internally maybe rattle it around again up up to make sure that they're good with the changes then we take it to the network and that internal process can take weeks sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. um and there's a tricky thing between when you decide your network, you're, you really want to make a good impression with your network, and when you realize they're on the same side of the table as you. Right. So that you can say, look, it's not perfect, but we want to share this with you now. Yeah. And trust that they understand and they have enough faith in you. And it's a, it's a gamble. You know, there's been times where I have shared stuff that I wished, that I felt was premature, because yeah. then people freak out. And there's times when they just trust. They just trust. They either trust in the writer or they trust in me, and they, they know that it's going to get there. Um, but the network notes were, uh, when it came to scripts, th- there was, I don't, I honestly don't think we ever had a note that that, that didn't make sense. Wow. Uh, it was, it was, uh, I think it, I mean, primarily because I, I sincerely believe that the Shaw network executives, at least those that we worked with, were top-notch. Mm-hmm. But they also, we really understood that we were making the same show. And I think that's, that I've said it before, but it can't be uh, sort of stated enough that there, there's so many times, especially when you get into kind of co-productions and the French think it's an action, yeah. uh, special effects thing. And, and the, the Germans Canadian just want to see more wilderness. Or and, breasts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we're into or wilderness the, breasts. Know, where, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and... and so, and then, so you 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 start in this kind of vibe where you're you're kind of you're you're 
you're not you're not all sort of got your shoulder behind the same plow or in the same direction. And mm-hmm. we did. We just really did. So their notes were very, very helpful. And they were thorough. And I think largely because they were, that's their, I think that's their credo. I mean, they're really into protecting their interests mm-hmm. in the way that I would say an American network does. Mm-hmm. But they also were doubly so in a show that had yet to, I mean, they couldn't point, we couldn't point to an hour and just say, just trust us. We'll make it like that. Mm-hmm. We hadn't done it yet. Do you find that as you went along, uh, as you made progress, did you uh, did you find that uh, that the notes got easier? Were they were they, were they less yes. extensive? Yes, they were. I mean, I mean, I mean, you couldn't. I, I the pilot. I thought I was going to die. Like I honestly thought I was. going <laughs> to die. How many pages? Um, how many months? I mean, it oh, really yeah, okay. was. It was an enormous undertaking. To get it. it was also a very ambitious hour. Again, it was block shot. So the first two, if you know the show, there's a lot of stuff that happens in those. There's a lot of effects. There's a lot of um, uh, uh, bold sort of narrative statements. And, uh, the, you know, there was an immense rigor. But I never really felt like, and, and it was also to the credit of Adrienne Mitchell, who's the co-creator, that mm-hmm. she really, she had it, she directed the first two. She had very clear visions of what she wanted, but she also really um, trusted me. And I, I think that, you know, that is also a very American model. I mean, as somebody who's developed repeatedly with ABC and CBS and, and the big American networks, they defer to you. They, the, the idea in the States is they'll give you a note, yeah. but if you don't want to do it, you're, they're paying you to be a, the expert. So you have to walk that line between being a diva who says, screw you to every note, yeah. and to being a pushover who actually lets them, because they don't want to feel like everything they say is right. Yeah. They want to know that there's some pushback and that there's a vision behind what you're doing. And I felt like there was that ability with the show that it didn't kind of get the gut sucked out of it. Right. Um, so, yeah. That's that, great. Does well, that answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I guess uh, the the other sort of thing on the, on the notes too, I guess that there's always that thing too when you get the note where it's not – got to do that thing where it, it's not necessarily the note, but what – What's oh, yeah. what is behind yeah. this? Yeah, right? well, absolutely. Like sometimes it's that thing where, yeah, somebody's got a pro- that actually happened a lot. Yeah, and it always does. Where you, somebody's got a note, and if you disagree with the note, it's usually because they there's a problem, but they haven't identified the right yeah. problem. Yeah, and so you're like, no, that's totally fine, but if you kind of scrape the surface, something else isn't right. It's yeah. the setup to this, or that's the, there's something in the context that this is happening in. And if you can deliver, and that's your job as a writer is yeah. to deliver the, find the solution there. It's not their job to find a solution, but if something usually is bumping. And again, I've, I've certainly been in other situations where I was yeah. getting notes that were moronic, yeah. but, but I never found that with this, but sometimes it was like, uh, I think your, your, your focus is on the wrong Thing, but I think I know how to fix this. It can be like reflected yeah. pain, yes. right? The problem's in your shoulder, but you're feeling yes. your leg. Yeah. And now, in the last episode, we didn't have a lot of time to do that kind of rigor. And so it's the most sort of freely written. Right. It was also, we had no money. So it was basically a bottle show that had to oh. culminate the episode, which I actually tried to turn into a virtue. I said, you know, I think at this point, it's really about emotion yeah. and uh, uh, sort of allowing 
scenarios to crest, yeah. which is essentially what you're describing is people talking in a room yeah. as opposed to, um, so as opposed to the beginning, which was about spectacle and um, event and less about, and I actually believe that as a, you know, for people who are building a, a, an arc of a series that, you know, throw your money in early, get you, people, what's going to get eyeballs in is those kinds of big mm-hmm. next week on, you know, whatever. Uh, and then it becomes more about what the, um, what the, the characters yeah. mean to you and what they're going through. But initially you don't know these people. So the only reason you're going to get there is I think your spec, spectaculometer kind of goes down yeah. as this as a season goes out for, yeah. on and as a, as a series goes on you don't, don't have to lift i, I don't know but, you, but I, I think you i think you just sort of said a version i have a secret kind of really dirty love for for bottle shows just oh, because God, the old, i know you know they really be so great yeah. 24 always did the yeah. best bottle shows yeah. right because the, the emotional stakes yeah. would be so high and somebody yeah. would always die in them yes. and it would be like oh. yes yes and you realize you but it's because of context it's because yeah. you already know who the characters are you've built a kind of powerful uh conflict that you can sit with for an hour mm-hmm. that you i mean you couldn't start a series with a bottle show it just like in, I mean, unless it was a, in treatment or something like that, but you know, you yeah. know what I mean. That you're, 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 you're. It, it's about taking that kind of pause that refreshes and going deeper with some characters. And and yeah, I mean, with with this, you know, the ending, we we had no. I mean, we it was every set that we were using in episode five, right? And we had the one new character with a day player. I think he got he had four lines, so we, we had to pay. We could pay him as an actor. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, everyone else was somebody on on the on the team already, and and um, and I think that's just my background as a playwright too. That you know, I love that kind of. But you can't, you kind of can't. At least I, my feelings, you can't lean too heavy on the bottleness of a of storytelling either, yeah. because you need to offer spectacle and event and and all that. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like we're sort of there. I guess this might be a good place to take the break, and let's we're going to watch. That episode. Is there anything else you want to do to, to set up this episode? We're going to watch episode six, yeah, well, which Dennis, is the finale of the first I brought, season. I brought episode one and episode six, and I probably should have brought them all so we had options. But Dennis made the point that, that he felt that likely most people had would have seen the first one and fewer people would have made seen the sixth, which, of course, I don't know if I'd feel any less nervous about you, know, you watching the sixth one. But um, uh, it's just, I mean, that, that was a six-episode arc. So this is about trying to both... Uh, culminate and reward uh, loyal viewers uh, into something that is very uh, rewarding uh, and also to the big question that the network had is is there forward momentum for the show yeah so I was trying to both resolve themes of the first season and to point forward and say like basically what you know what happened in the blogosphere, which was sort of insanity of like, oh my god, I can't wait for you know a year for this, and and that was the kind of stuff we needed to be able to point to. Yeah, that that this would 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 um, you know thrust people into new um, uh, worlds and new points to the po- possibility of 
new paradigms being explored in the second season, that it's not just going to be the same world. Great. Well, that's a good setup, and I think I, we definitely want to come out and talk about where you go next. Okay, and, okay, cool. Yeah. And the other thing I, I got to say, too, is I, I got to say what a thrill it is, because I put it out on Twitter and stuff. What a thrill it is to actually be, again, to have a Canadian show where you ask people, hey, if you have any questions for this guy, I'm gonna, and you get... You know, you get a couple of interesting sort of crafty questions. People know what it's about. And then you get all the cra- all the, all the fans. <laughs> Ask me. Blah, blah, blah. I really need to know because I, need to, cause I can't wait till it's on the air. And you know what? The fact that we're saying that about a Canadian drama oh, series is, yeah. makes me happier than anything in the world. So let's, let's go away and we'll screen the episode and then we'll come back. Go, and we'll go, talk. I like to go away and then we screen. Like, do we go away and then no, we no, don't you, watch it? You don't, you, don't, you don't have to watch it. I kind of want to. Oh, well, then there nice. it is. Uh, that was really enjoyable. Um, so I guess the 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 sixty dollar question now is, uh, which is a reference back, back in the in the sixties. Which, the which is, that which is a, a reference yeah. is actually dated more dated than me. But um, uh, so right now, your I mean, uh, l- l- let's ask the forward looking question first, and then and circle back. Right now, you're uh, just the start of planning season two. You got yes. picked up. You picked up for a for a much larger order, twelve episodes. Yes. So now what? Well, I'm hoping that Joseph K. and Pamela Pinch have the ideas. Actually, <laughs> uh, well. Well, the trick of a, a season finale like this is that you want to dig holes for your characters, mm-hmm. but not so deep that you spend those crucial first episodes um, getting them out. Right. That that a good cliffhanger often results in a weak season opener. Yeah. Uh, because you 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 just create such problems that, of the magnitude that are that are very difficult to enjoyably uh, uh, get yourself out of. Well, this is showing my and, storytelling tries, but I, I call that Star Trek the next generation syndrome. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? Cool. <laughs> yeah. They always because they always have these awesome finales in the mm. first episode you would come back and you'd be like, Oh uh, God, yeah, uh, because they've uh, yeah. So so my my uh, my sort of way of kind of dealing with this was to, to I have an I have a story for everybody okay is it the best story I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about trusting in that kind of collaborative process mm-hmm. uh, I have I have a fully fledged arcs for every character uh, especially the beginning of those arcs and I'm just looking for better ideas mm-hmm. so we, we will go back in the room and we're going to spend two weeks uh, in a sort of overview way looking at each character and then we go in and we break each episode together we'll do we'll spend four or five days per episode which by canadian standards is quite a long time yeah that's a very long break that's great yeah and i just feel that um that's what sets the 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 good shows from the the you know the, the the shows that are making up for Deficits is mm-hmm. is how much time they have to really properly consider the essential question of what happens next. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to bring. I also have a brand new writers team this year. Cool, which is unusual. But yeah. everybody on the team is new, from the coordinator to the to my you know co EP is new. Great, and, it, and uh, so it's going to take some time to bring people up to speed and what my tastes are and to sort of you know. 
I just want some sort of wiggle room there. Right. Um, now, so, yeah. without so so now you've you've assembled your second writers' room for mm-hmm. this show. I mean, I guess without getting sort of weird about it and sort of like you know, outing each person or whatever. But uh-huh. but, but in terms of the uh, the qual- what were the qualities that you were um. looking for in because I mean it, you know you really do want to build different skill sets. Yeah. So how do you balance that out? What were you looking for? What was important to you? Well, what was important this year was that we, um, boy, I was looking for uh, a lean and mean room. I chose this year to take it over, like, quality over quantity. So it's mm-hmm. a small room, but we paid, you know, to the best. We didn't, we're not a rich show. Right. It might look like we are, but we're not. Right. Uh, so I didn't, you know, and I've had, I've built a room differently in other other shows but this there's not a lot of junior people on this it's pretty much a dream team I was looking for people who weren't me Hmm. Um, there's already a you know kind of arty early 40s fabulously good looking gay man (laughs) on the on the the team so I wanted people who weren't that right okay I don't want competition (laughs) (laughs) um so no i was just looking i mean but i was looking for different kinds of yins to yangs Mm -hmm. it's a kind of alchemy that you're building and it's the same that actually goes when you're casting a show yeah these women are all i keep pointing to like like there's they're up there i don't know but but they're they're like the best of friends now they all just went on these trips to new york they went uh they they, the four of them like got places together in la like they have become in 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 a matter of months, like like a sisterhood, and that's what you're trying to create, both in casting, but also in a kind of writer's room. Yeah. Um, so you're you're looking for different strengths of who's a strong writer, who's strong in the room, who's good with comedy, who's good with structure. Individually, they're going to write their own episodes. Yeah. But you want to feel like there's a there's a a balance of skills. And I think a lot of what uh, what a sh- good showrunner, head writer does is balance the deficits that she or he has with their writer's room. And so I was thinking about that. Hmm. Um, but when you have a small room, you just don't have a lot of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we aren't the same as an American show where they can have, you know, 10 people in a writer's room. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we just don't, we can't afford it. It's funny how yeah. you hear the same things coming from American writers now. Right. Uh, we don't have any wiggle room, and they're talking about their rooms of eight. I know. We, we can't I mean, afford the four extra yeah, people. those four so. extra people who don't even get a script guarantee, and they're just in the room. I know. It's, it, they're, they're suffering. So, But, but um, you know, I feel like I interviewed everybody that was available mm-hmm. on this show for this season, and as I've told the, them who got jobs – you know, they should really feel happy that. Uh, I, no, I did not interview everyone. I read, mm-hmm. I read or considered. I looked at. I looked at a lot of people. A lot for this of, how many? How job. many writers would you say? Roughly, ballpark. Uh, fifty. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of reading. It for took, like four. It, it for looked, four positions, took, five. Uh, for four, four positions. Well, uh, uh, four positions, a coordinator and an intern. Wow. I looked at. Um, and read. Yeah. Like I, I spent, I got back into the country on the 
fourth of February, and mm-hmm. all, basically all I did until we 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 settled on our writers' room three days ago. Right. All I did was read. Wow. And we and we were interviewing people. We had an interview on uh, uh, Friday. Last Friday was our last interview. Wow, it's writers, great. To, so. I mean, it's great to be that thorough. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I guess I appreciated that because I've always felt as a writer, you know, it's like, oh God, if you're not like the popular person who gets asked for everything like i wanted to like like when you when the the room is announced i think you'll there'll be a lot of names you don't recognize necessarily but i wanted to just sort of go to to who i thought was the right and 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 my team thought was the right people as opposed to you know who's the hot person do you you find that uh, did you find the the reading I mean, what did you learn from reading all those people? I mean, w- w- was it a rewarding process? Well, it was. I mean, it's fun to get a sort of a snapshot of what's out there. Yeah. What I tend to respond to is original material in the sense of um, I'd lo- I love to read, because I'm, it's an hour-long show, the ideal sample for me is an hour-long pilot that a writer wrote. So, I mean, even if it never got picked up, but it's like, what's your voice? What's the thing that kind of shows you at your best advantage and also can show me that you can kind of understand the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the genre, medium, whatever it is, yeah. of an hour-long show. And I would – that's the ideal thing. And if it had a bit of an edge to it and it wasn't a cop show, I was really interested. Not to say those are bad samples to write, but – for this, it doesn't show me what you can kind of do. And so it was trickier to find a sample that was about proving you could be a chameleon if you wrote a good Weeds episode or if you wrote a good you know, Flashpoint episode or something like that. Like it sort of can tell me, but it's not, it's not telling me enough about you. Mm-hmm. And what I was try- a lot of my interviews with writers, I'm not sure if they would agree in their experience, um, was about trying to gauge that chameleon nature. Uh, I tended to test a writer in an interview. I would say something. Uh, uh, Joseph K, who's here, I gave him a I gave him a note on his script, and he was like totally like into it. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to listen to me, but yeah. You did? Awesome. All yeah, right. So there you go. But, you know, you, you're kind of like, I guess it's important to know that when you're in the interview situation, uh, you know, somebody like me is just sort of, I'm trying you on for size. I want to yeah. know, like, are you going to get defensive if I criticize? If I just sit there and go, I loved your script. Well, that's easy. It doesn't show me who yeah. you are. So, so it's things like that that I'm just sort of testing in both the reading of the material and then where I apply the material against what I need. And there's always a gap. You're never going to read the sample that is like, oh, my God, it's a 1940s show yeah. about women that's set in Canada. Like, it's, it's always something that it's a, it's a oh movie. Oh, my God, it's called Dom Girl. Dom Girl's yeah. hot. that is hot. There's yeah. got to be a porno that's pretty hot. very yeah, soon that's about that. But, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, this is a procedural or it's a play or it's a movie or it's not but, – but they feel it's their best foot for, forward. Yeah. And then you try and um, uh, apply that to what you need and test it in the interview if, if you can get to one. And, and unfortunately, you know, you can't to, – to do a proper inter- interview is, is, is a substantial amount of our time. And we, you know, we – you know, we, we, I'd say we – for every – 
three persons we three three people we interviewed we hired one maybe okay. by the time we got to that yeah right. I um, okay I want I do want to open up for questions I've got a couple more questions I got one comment uh-huh. on uh, which is apparently I love now, comments apparently now I'm Wolf I don't have Blitzer. to say anything after a comment right no I, you don't but but you know what we just screened for those for people who are listening to the podcast yeah. and you are familiar with the 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 first uh, season, which can be streamed, and if you're on Canada on the global website, you can you can stream all the episodes there. What was interesting watching that sixth episode, and what, what I think is that sweet spot of, of network episodic television, mm-hmm. you do get that thing where things are Byzantine in the cable world, where if you tune into episode eight and you didn't see the first, you're, you're screwed. Yes. But the thing that was great about that watching it was, I honestly think. What was in there was emotionally true enough, and the arc of the character within the episode was enough, and you had enough information about the character interrelationships that I think if you dived in, you could still pick it up. And there is something interesting about that sweet spot between serialization and always leaving the door open so the person can come in and watch it. Well, and that's very important to me, and I feel, especially as a, when you're doing Canadian shows, mm. you have to write a show where... It, the, the 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 fans uh praise of it can't be a you got to start from the first episode yeah. or b just stick with it for 3 weeks oh like episode I, you know, 5 gets yeah, really it's good it's so good yeah. or if you oh, just God. stay with it i'm sorry i'm not going to keep somebody for 3 weeks yeah. if they don't enjoy it i want to write an hour that if you've never seen the show before and and this was especially challenging in the last episode because you're trying to culminate so many things. But that you essentially know where you are. You know who the characters are. And you can watch an hour and feel like that was a pretty good hour. And if you never see another minute of the show again, which I hope wouldn't be the case, you could go to the dinner party on Friday night and go, you know, I saw this bomb girls and it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. As opposed to... Oh my God! It was so, and that, I feel like that's the sort of HBO credo is more like make it, make them work. Yeah, you know, and they have to sign up for it, and it's it's hard, but it it there are rewards embedded. I don't. I feel like television is a popular medium, mm-hmm. and you have to appeal to a wide audience, and you have to find a way if you care to to be smart within that. If you want to be smart, yeah. but the. Television doesn't exist to be highbrow. It's not a highbrow medium. It's a mass medium. And and part of that is making it available at every step, at, at any entry point for, for an audience. And um, so I, I appreciate you, you talking about that because that's certainly very important to my, my um, uh, uh, sort of belief as a, as a showrunner. Great. Yeah. Well, okay, my last question. This part of, the part of the WGC brief on this, of course, is there's supposed to be sort of career advancement strategies. And what we yes. haven't gotten, gotten to tonight because, you, you know, it's been a very rich and varied discussion. And thank you very much for that. Um, but just it, the, the lightning round Jeopardy 30-second version of it. Going back over, it's not your, this is not your first kick at the road of can. It's not your yeah. first, you know, uh, dance at the rodeo. Yeah, do you so dance in, at a rodeo? So into I don't know. You know, I mix my metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I delivered a script fifteen minutes before I came. Okay, here. Help <laughs> okay. Me a break. Help you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I think that you know, looking back on the shows that you've done, yeah, the 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 credits you've had, are there anything that stick out in terms of? There's something that happens to each of us at every show. If you're doing well, every show 
you learn something that makes you a better writer that you go. Mm-hmm. So if you look back on that into how you came up and how you matriculated, what were the most important lessons you learned that stick out for you on a certain show, a certain credit of yours, either one of your shows or something mm-hmm. you worked on? What did you learn and, 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 and what did it, how did it change you as a writer? Wow. Oh my gosh! If anything, but that, but don't. This yeah. doesn't be anything that leaps. Yes, like it's okay. not you well, know the I would say like things. I mean I started on stuff like uh, wind at my back. I would say a show like that taught me about the power of emotional availability and mm. to, to and that was Ray story. You know mm. like the, and it's a, about universal storytelling. I think something like Queer as Folk taught me that you uh, you gain traction by being provocative, and that that conflict is your primary medium Mm. um and the rigor the importance of that rigor of breaking that you really Mm -hmm. you know just because you have a story doesn't mean it's the best story every week and there's that temptation on a wednesday afternoon that you could just go oh my god it's good it's fine it works but and then somebody you know it was usually somebody who'd come in who hadn't been there since monday and he would say and you're like Fuck you. Like, this is a good idea. Drink the Kool-Aid. And, and drink it. Drink the Kool-Aid. And actually, they were right. And But, you you know, I would spend so much time resisting that. I would just like, just take it. Just, this is fine. But it's that idea that you can always do better. And the way you do better is in that breaking structural level. It's not about writing a better joke. Maybe right. it is in comedy. But in, in an hour-long show, it's not about writing a better joke. It's about fundamentally, you know, digging deeper and ever deeper in these characters. Uh, a show like Godiva's, I think, was about, I mean, I think partly that was a show that I, I tried to make very proudly Canadian. Mm-hmm. And um, we suffered because of that. Yeah. It didn't, didn't have as wide a, a, an appeal. But that it was also looking at themes of, um, y- universal themes of around family. And I think that that, to me, is a, everything since that show has been about family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just my, I think I found my voice as a writer through that. Mm. Uh, a show like uh, J-Pod uh, was, I think what I learned about that is if you don't have a heart, you don't have um, a show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you, and somebody has to be the custodian of that heart. Mm-hmm. And what was difficult about that was that there was no uh, power, the, the power dynamics were so complex that, Nobody was really allowed to to carry that. Mm. Um, you know, I look at a show like uh, Flashpoint, where I was, you know, very much of sur- or, or or something like. Well, I'll, I'll skip being Erica. I'm just going to Flashpoint. Not sure what I learned from being Erica, but um, Flashpoint was um, about the the importance of constantly besting yourself. Mm. You know that that. There, there were constantly ways I could see making shortcuts, and Mark and Stephanie were were never willing to make those those, even though it would have made their lives a lot easier. They were so there was such incredible pride and grace that they walked that I've really drawn on as a showrunner in this it, show. It is really interesting from a cultural perspective when you think about it. We we have several a lot of writers in the but one of the writers we have in the audience tonight is Peter Mitchell, and of course Peter Mitchell had a, a Cold Squad for you. But, but you, yes. know, you look at you look at the old. We don't have that experience anymore of literally having to come up. Very, very few Canadian writers of a certain vintage, my vintage and stuff, mm-hmm. have had to have had to be in that room and say, 
oh god what's episode 39 what's episode yeah. 43 yeah. what's uh, a, yeah. you know and that's a very different set of skills it is it is and um yeah and and i think one of the things that canadians do well is we ha- sort of hand make every episode mm. Uh, you know, you the way that this was edited, for example, is so not the way a, an American show is edited yeah. or written, or or it's so, so much more thoughtful. And that is, I think, you know, what I learned from this show is just the the absolute. I thought I had a high bar, but I'm working with producers and a co-creator who have, you know, like impeccable standards. And um, but I, I think that you know, in terms of applying that to a, a, a writer who's out there, I think it's a really about finding what your unique voice is and finding ways of expressing that. Mm-hmm. You won't always get to trade on that as a writer, mm-hmm. but at least you have the satisfaction of knowing that it stands there. It's there. There is a. There are documents. There are. There are testaments to your vision and your ta- your best talents, and then. From there, cobbling a career out of it and and translating it into something that's that might be um, uh, workable. But if you don't, if you constantly feel like your career is about compromise, mm-hmm. then it will be. Wow, good. All right. Well, either people are sort of crashing in the blood sugar department, or we have the most patient audience. Uh, I can't believe this. I this mean, is this is amazing. wonderful. But yeah. So, but like, why don't we open I mean, it up quick, for quick, quick, for quick, some sure. questions? A few questions from the audience now. Anybody? Uh, we have one right at the back. Yes. Um, the uh, research that you put into this show. I was yeah. wondering uh, how you approach that, and at what point in each particular story do mm-hmm. the historical elements come come in? I love Phil. I love it that you asked the research. So question. it's a question of. I'm not sure if this is on the. Is this yeah, a, it is. Yeah, so it's is, is it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the question is about research and how. Um, I mean, the tricky thing about doing anything about World War II is, no matter how much I know, there is a freakish percentage of the population that knows way more, way more. And we made mistakes. We were never always accurate. Sometimes, knowingly, we just sort of gave over. You know, there's things like that dramatically were, you know, but like Pearl Harbor happened on a fucking Sunday. Right. So how do you deal with that? And I, we can't make it not a Sunday. It's like we're going to get burned. And and it's sort of a bit like writing a, a Marvel comic um, movie. Like, you know that most of your audience is not going to be fanboys, but if you don't have the fanboys, if you don't win over com- Comic-Con, you're screwed Mm -hmm. and there was a similar kind of respect that i have for for those sort of world war ii enthusiasts that that can kind of drive you crazy um so you know it was partly about me doing a lot of research it's partly we didn't have too much of this in the first season but it was partly about surrounding myself with knowledgeable people and fact checkers and readers and we're going to do more of that next year but to me that you use research in two ways one is to inspire story which is to say um, okay, like episode four was all about these sort of bomb girl um, uh, propaganda newsreels. Like let's, and we read these and we looked at these and we studied how they worked. Um, and, and so that's, that's a very, it's about inspiring creativity. And there's many examples of that. Uh, the, the end of the pilot, you know, I read this thing about how, you know, they would, they would write little notes or kiss a bomb. So the last step, the last image of the pilot is, is of Gladys in, in the first bomb she finishes, you know, just kissing it. And we watch it go up with this sort of, it's a 
fucking bomb that's going to kill somebody with lipstick on it. Yeah. And I just felt like that encapsulates yeah. the series yeah, for yeah. me. So it's those things inspire you. And then there's also about it's sort of more reactive research, which is here's what we want to do. Tell me, like, how would we, what would the thing be? Like, what would they be building? Or what would, they, and it's, it, that's the kind of, like, that's a lot of, say, what medical shows do. A show like House, they're, they're like, okay, we need a disease that would do this and be this. And then the medical person goes, oh, you probably want this. And we're like, okay, that's, that's what we want. Or, or Grey's Anatomy, you know. Um, and so that's more about reading, responding to our ideas and, or reading our material and correcting it. And you just need both. You need people and re- enough research to both generate stories that feel organic and also correct your storytelling so that it's true. Great. Great question. Someone else have that? Yes, back there. Sorry, I, how do you um, plan out the arcs for the seasons? Is that something that comes out of the room, something you bring in and, and just sort of offer the room? Well, what I tend to do is I, I come in fairly strong with visions for every character. And then I basically write it in pencil, you know? So then it's about what do other people feel about these characters? What do they, I mean, and what a good room will do is, is writers will champion characters. Somebody will be like all over Betty or somebody will say like, you know, I think Carol's getting short shrift and I think she's an interesting character because she's about this and she's about that. And, and so you, you, you get into these sort of, discussions that out of which usually at least deeper stories like a deeper rendering of my story and possibly a better alternatives to those stories occur but you have to go in with i think as a showrunner you like you have to go in with a vision of what the that the season is about and for me each episode sorry each season of the show is about a component of explosion basically and i won't get into the details of it but but the first season you could you could call kind of contents under pressure. If you look at sort of the the basic stages of what an explosion is, um, what and are I'm not going to get into it. It's oh, too, way too boring. Dear. But you can okay. figure it out. Basically, you know, you've got stump, something that wants to explode and something that's stopping it from exploding, and then what happens? Interesting. So you know, I want to sort of unify. Because what, what a premise, what a theme allows you to do is to decide if this is a story worth telling this year or it should have been told last year or next year. Like you need to sort of understand what you're trying to say and why something is in the sweet spot and when it's not. But um, there's no point in having writers in the room if you're not open to them having a better idea than I have. So I come in... I offer up the best I've got. It generally can be reduced down to some bullet points for each character on a, a white marker board with like lines down them. And then we just fill up the rest of it with more ideas. Great. Okay, we have time for one or two more. Yes, right down here. Just a quick question about when you're pitching the show. Yeah. Going into these networks and you're pitching a period piece. Yes. During the Second World War, obviously, you know, you're not yeah. having hundreds of extras running at the beach or anything. Mm-hmm. But what was the temperature of the different networks when you pitched this concept? I mean, were they receptive to it? I mean, what, what were they? Well, what I generally did, what I generally did at the beginning of a pitch was I would say, okay, you know, these are, you know, uh, oh God, I can remember all the, the points. It was things like, you know, this is a nation at war and we're divided about it. Uh, you know, the youth are partying down like crazy. Drug use is out of control. 
uh, STDs are rampant, pregnancies are crazy, and it's you know you're trying to pitch it like it it's taking it's Gossip yeah. Girl basically, yeah. and then you say and it's set in 1942, yeah, or 1940, 1941 as it ended up being. The pitch was 42, and you're trying to make it feel vi- vital. Like nobody wants to feel like it's something set in kind of aspic. Yeah, the temperature was always positive. Like the people responded to the concept, the kind of sexy take we had on it, and the characters. And the trick with a pitch is that you can get really mired in this kind of a show. You can get really, you could, I could spend five minutes talking about Gladys, but I, I got to tell you about Gladys in 30 seconds because otherwise I sound like, a bit like a crazy person and, oh, and Gladys, she's this mm-hmm. and she's that and, and her parents and, 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 and she's got this boyfriend and she really loves movies and, and then, but I got to get on to Lorna and then I got to get on to, you know, Betty and Kate and, and, and so it's, it's this way of, <coughs> conceiving of the show in a sexy way bolting in on like compelling character details that give somebody a knowledgeable executive a sense of the engine of the show what's driving it and then talking about tone mm-hmm. and tone i think really helped this show which was to talk about you know we think about the 40s as this kind of sepia toned and in fact it was the beginning of kodachrome it was the i mean people were living in in technicolor um adrian always talked about how these women went from baking apple pies to building bombs yeah. and those kinds of contradictions just you know made somebody lean in as opposed to lean out in a pitch and that's what you're just you're basically trying to do and you're trying to offer them a kind of silver platter on which they can kind of complete the meal there was that interesting there's a very interesting thing about i guess it was about 10 12 years now they found a big trove but i remember there was, these, these documentaries came out that were basically world war Two in color and it was all oh, like, yeah right and it's just yeah and looking at it yeah it, we it, don't think of it that way like Steven Spielberg Whoa. never gave us that. Like, yeah. it was always that sort of misty, yeah. la, 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 which is fine. It's uh, yeah. nothing against that. But we, you have to also sort of make it unlike anything else out there. And why would anybody want, want to watch this? And why, and each pitch was tailor-made to why this is a CBC show, yeah. why this is a CTV show, why this is a global show. And, though, and you have to know your market. Now, now the now the the weird thing about this is we were pitching it as a basically a ten o'clock showcase series, and we ended up with an eight o'clock global series. And what people don't realize, I mean, some so many people are like taken by the content and the sexuality in the show. It's an eight o'clock show, people. Yeah, like we yeah. can't we can't alienate. We can't go too far. But you get away with stuff because it's set in the forties. There's stuff you can do in the forties that yeah. it's like you know what's. What's Lorna going to do? And, you know, we're, like, debating abortion. Yeah. And it's like, well, at least if it was an abortion, it would be a period abortion. Yeah, like, it's yeah, not yeah. It's yeah. not like she's going down, like, past the, yeah. you know, the, the Fred Phelps It's not the silent whatever, scream you know? outside. Yeah, and, yeah, know. yeah. So. Uh, you know, uh, just to underline something you said in there, too, that I thought was real, that I think is really interesting and very, very key and very, very true, is the idea that, you know, you start a period piece pitch by pitching the themes that are universal in today. Yes. And I think one of the ways, I might have even said this in a, on a previous podcast of one of these, but one of the things that got me about Mad Men when mm-hmm. I watched it was that first episode, the thing that I thought was genius about it was you start watching it and you think to yourself, oh my God, things have changed so much. And by the end of the episode, <laughs> end of, that, end yeah. of that first episode, you're like, oh fuck, man, nothing's changed at yeah. all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that, that pitching that, pitching all of that stuff and pitching, here's how it's exactly contemporary, 
and it's set in the 40s. And you get, you get gorgeous women. Yeah. You get great hairstyles. Yeah. You get to go to a rich person's world. I mean, let's yeah. face it. It's, it's, it, there's a soap opera component oh, to it, too. Yeah. So it, it shouldn't feel like medicine. So you're also offering an escapist experience. And we just believed that the... I mean, we pitch. I was like the 40s or the new 60s. Like, mm-hmm. madman. 40s <laughs> are hot now. 40s are hot. Last yeah. question. Uh, down in front. Oh, great question. That's a great question. It's a real balancing act because, um, and I think we're still, we're working it out in the first season. This episode was probably the least kind of period-y if you, if you compare this to the first episode. I want it to feel like, well, I mean, we were looking for actors that it felt natural in their mouths, if that makes sense. And Adrian worked really well in auditions about... They would, they would come in like they were speaking a kind of, you know, 40s Shakespeare. And she would just be like, all right, tell me about your day. And she was like, talk to me like that. Okay, now say the lines. And it's got to feel natural. But at the same time, I, I sort of say it's like natural plus 10%. Like they, they were mm-hmm. just better ex- at expressing themselves. They had better vocabularies. They And I think that's part of the appeal of it, is that yeah. there's a kind of lyrical, slightly lyrical quality to the language, but that it needs to feel rooted in reality. And, um, and it is something, Kim, that I'm very uh, taken to task on with every script. There's a, the, the first line that um, Betty say, says in, in the pilot is um, she, she comes and sees Kate, you know, in that same hallway that was their last moment together. And she's, she's just run away from her father and she's trying to, she's dealing with the fact that her door doesn't lock and she's panicking because she needs a door that locks. And, and Betty, of course, knows nothing about this. She comes out of her door across the way and she, she just says, what's got you all dingo. And that was just a slang of the time, which meant kind of like crazy. Hmm. And they had us like do alt ADR takes what's got you all upset yeah and I'm just like Betty would not say upset Betty would say dingo but nobody knows what dingo means now right and there was all everybody's gonna think of Meryl Streep and doing an Aussie (laughs) accent and I was just like they're they know she's upset this woman comes out it's the words dingo. Like you kind of get a vibe. It doesn't matter if you don't. I mean, we can watch an, uh, an episode of ER and, and not understand like 7% of the dialogue, but you just know it's important. You've got to get the thing on the thing and the blood pressure's all wonky. And I just thought, I, I want her to say dingo. And they, they, like they find, I mean, it, it's, it's strange the hills you want to die on in the end. But, but it was about trying to argue that you could have something that that's, feels natural and isn't, I don't want to be, and as much as I love a, a show like Downton Abbey, I don't want it to feel like it's precious. I want it to feel vital and alive, and, and that's a tricky line for me. I'm not sure we found it yet, but we're trying. Maybe the dingo saved your slang. <laughs> the dingo saved my slang. The dingo <laughs> did, yes. Anyway, uh, uh, so anyway, listen, Michael, this has been an absolutely delightful evening. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Bomb Girls, you're doing the second season right now. Yes. Returns when? It'll return at the beginning of uh, January is the plan. January More or less when we premiered last right. year. Yes. Well, we're all looking forward. Thank you so much for sharing oh, your time pleasure, with us. It was my pleasure, Dennis, and thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. 
you can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. That's writerstalkingtv, all one word, at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please log on to iTunes and leave us positive feedback because that helps increase the profile of the show and the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Dennis McGrath, reminding you of something the bomb girls might appreciate. As Margaret Thatcher once said, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. <laughs>